Blog Talk Radio. This show is dedicated to those that have lost the fight of life to the HIV-AIDS epidemic. At this time, we would like to honor those fallen soldiers within the LGBTQ community with a moment of silence. Thank you. Talk with Micah and friends, and yes, it is me, Micah! So very glad and very good to have you guys back with me once again for yet another episode of Season 1. This is actually episode number 15, to be exact, okay? I just want to remind all of you who either have iTunes on your computer or your iPhone 4, 4S, 5, 5C, or 5S, that you can subscribe to the show via the iTunes store on your computer or through the Purple Podcast app on your smartphones, and guys, that's free of charge, okay, all right, and also, thanks also goes out to everyone who listens to the show via hipcast.com, blog talk radio, um, via the posted link that I post on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, thank you, thank you, thank you, okay, well, you all know what time it is, right, it is time for the free and clear, free and clear, free and clear segment. I was driving in my car one day. Uh, I saw a sexy lady walk my way. Uh, a bangy body and a pretty face. So I whispered in her ear and said, I really love your style and your dress to fly, yo. I love to see your pretty face in my show. I've been around the world from London to Chicago, but I ain't never met a girl like you. All right, congrats goes out to a few individuals who captured titles over the weekend. Marcy Mogul. Winnie Miss Jacksonville Newcomer, congratulations. Valentino Lord Alexander and Armani Nicole Davenport, congrats on winning Mr. and Miss Club 2020. Dash Davenport Dupree and Infinity Bonet on winning their preliminary to the Westland Newcomer in July, winning Mr. and Miss Mississippi Westland, congrats. Armadi France, winning Mr. Georgia Continental, that he gets his ticket to Mr. Continental Labor Day weekend, as well as Neil Richards on winning Mr. Liberty Continental, getting his ticket as well to Mr. Continental Labor Day weekend. And last but certainly not least, Miss Brooklyn Star, winning Miss All-American Goddess at Large. So congrats, congrats, and congrats, baby. All right. Uh, Monday, May 26th, Glamorous 2014, honoring Miss Glamorous 2013, Tasha Long, will be held at the Parliament House in Orlando, Florida, in the Footlight Theater. Doors will open up at 8 p.m. You'll have performances by Kennedy Davenport, a former Miss Glamorous 2010, Chevelle Brooks, Miss Glamorous 2011, Erica Norrell, Miss Glamorous 2012, and Miss Glamorous newcomer, Felicia T. Fox. 
It will be hosted by Miss USA of A at large, Miss Angelica Sanchez. Presentation, Glamorous in Pink, Solo Talent, Evening Gown, Pre-registration is a $100 entry fee if you pay by May 15th or if you enter by May 15th, all right? The winner will receive $1,000 in cash, $3,000 in prizes, a crown, and $3,000 booking tour, okay? And you can actually contact NEMA. And I will actually post this particular flyer to the Talk With Mike and Friends Facebook page so you'll get all that pertinent information, okay? All right. Club J Pageantry System will be having their Mr., Miss, Femme, and Stud Club J Pageant, honoring Ashley D. Santi Valentino, Tanisha Cassadine, Addiction Braxton, and NVD Braxton. That will be held Sunday, April 6, 2014, in Savannah, Georgia, at Island Breeze. Categories are to include presentation, creative black, may accent with one color, talent, seven minutes, do your own thing, which can be sportswear, swimwear, or formal wear. Entry fee is $150. Registration is at 2 p.m., and advance ticket is $20, baby. And that's going to be held at Island Breeze in Savannah, Georgia. All right? Okay. Miss Gay US of A Classic honoring Amy DeMilo will be held May 18th and May 19th in Dallas, Texas. Preliminary, preliminary night, excuse me, will be held May 18th. Final night will be held May 19th. Miss Gay US of A honoring Shay Shay Larice, baby. Shake em up, Shay Shay. Uh, <laughs> will be held May 20th through the 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Preliminary nights will be held May 20th through the 22nd at the Roundup Saloon in Dallas, Texas. Final night will be held May 23rd. All right. Um, so congrats to Amy DeMilo and congrats to Shay Shay on a wonderful year. Miss Continental Elite and Plus, of which I will be attending, uh, will be held in Chicago, Illinois. Elite and Plus preliminaries will be held April 20th at the Park West Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Plus final night will be held April 21st at the Park West Theater. And Elite final night will be held April 22nd at the Baton Show Lounge. So be there or be square, baby. Okay? And one last announcement. One last announcement. Uh, Monty R. St. James and ATL Purple Dragon presents Hidden Treasures, A Night of Unity. It's going to be dedicated to those um, with HIV and Alzheimer's, okay? And that's going to be held Thursday, April 17th at the Southwest Arts Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, advanced tickets are $15. At the door, it's going to be $20, baby, okay? Well, that's actually it for the free and clear, free and clear, free and clear segment. Remember, if you have any announcements that you would like for me to include during this segment, please email me at thetalkwithmicah at gmail.com or you can inbox me on Facebook, Michael Piss Lord. Next up, it's all about the awareness, baby. It's going to be an informational discussion and Q&A segment focusing on the HIV-AIDS epidemic affecting not only the LGBTQ community, but all communities as a whole, okay? So hold that down, and we'll be right back. So guess what? Chuck Brown, take it away, baby. I'm Josh. I'm Sandra. I'm Matt. I'm Maria. I'm Aaron. I'm Desiree. I'm Pedro. I'm Marcos. I'm Victor. I'm getting an HIV test because I didn't use the condom. Because I'm getting into a new relationship and I want both of us to be safe. Because I shared needles back to my party days. Because my husband had an affair and I just need to be sure. 
Because I've had an STD and I'm more at risk of contracting the HIV virus. Because now that there's a rapid oral swab test, I can no longer use my fear of needles as an excuse not to get tested. Because it only takes 20 minutes and I can finally stop worrying. And it's free. Because I want to have kids and I need to know how to protect my baby. Because I care about him. Because I care about him. Because I've got my own personal reasons to question my HIV status. What's your reason for getting an HIV test? Go to erasedout.org for the other reasons you should get tested today. That's erasedout.org. Get tested. Get treated. Today's show is focused around the HIV-AIDS ep epidemic that affects so many within our LGBTQ community. I thought that it was going to be very important that we not sweep this under the rug any longer. I felt we needed to have an open dialogue and discussion about the disease that is affecting so many around us. So I invited four individuals to be a part of this week's show, two who are prominent activists and two who are advocates within their community, educating those infected and affected by the disease. We have today on the show... Mr. Danny Sanders of Illinois. Are you here, Danny? I'm here. Okay, great. Mr. Syed Fox Bonet of Louisiana, are you here? Yes, I am. All right. We have Mr. Kari Block of uh, Black, I said Block of <laughs> Black of New York. Are you here, sir? What's up? All right. And then we also have, last but certainly not least, Mr. Fred Jones, also of Louisiana. Are you here, Fred? Yes, I am. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, thanks for taking the time out to be a part of something so special, so informative, so educational, yet so very important. So thanks again. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into it. Everybody knows that I, I don't like to waste any more time, okay? So I want to first start off the discussion with Danny and Syed, okay? So just giving us a little more information on the organization that you both are a part of and what is it that you do for, for, the, um, for those community-based organizations when it pertains to HIV-AIDS prevention. And I'll say that one more, ten, uh, one more time because I kind of stumbled over that. Um, I want you guys to give us a little more information on the organization that you both are a part of and what is it that you do for those community-based organizations when it relates to HIV-AIDS prevention. So, Danny, you can go first and then we'll hear from Syed. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Danny Sanders. I um I held in St. Louis, Missouri, but I work in East St. Louis, Illinois, um, which is right across the bridge, like a five-minute drive. And I work for Southern Illinois Healthcare Foundation, which is a foundation that owns all of the hospitals in Southern Illinois. Um, I am the health educator, so for all of the clinics, I go in and I do the education piece around HIV, um, STDs, AIDS, and other um, disparities within our communities. Um, I've been with them since September of 2013, but on June the 1st, I will be celebrating my 15th year in the field of advocating against HIV and AIDS. Okay, and let me ask you one question before we, um, before we get to Syed. What prompted you um, to, to go in that direction as far as, you know, working with the HIV, AIDS prevention and all of that? Like what prompted you or, or pushed you to go that route? I was hosting a drag show at a local club in St. Louis, and um, they had a booth set up in the club. And when I got through with the show and everything, the gentleman who later became my boss walked up to me and said, with that type of mouth, you need to be doing some good with it. And mm. so he uh, 
gave me an interview, and I interviewed well, and he gave me a second interview, and I second interview, and then um, they hired me um, June the first, two thousand, and I've been um, been working there ever since. And I started out just um, as a prevention specialist, and that's just going out to clubs, doing outreach and things like that. And so now um, I've just been in the field for a long time. Well, we definitely appreciate that. We need people. We need more people like yourself to to help advocate, you know, out there to the masses. And um, I'm sorry, Sayez, I, I gotta take you. <laughs> stop, stop, just one second. Um, if you can, uh, Danny, and I'm gonna have Sayez do the same thing. If you can, go ahead and um, give uh, our listeners the website, um, your website, so they can get more information as well, if you don't mind. Okay, our website is www.sihf dot org. That's www.sihf dot org. Thank you so very much. And Sai, yes, I'm so sorry, but you can go ahead now. <laughs> uh, yes. I forgot what you were saying. Oh, oh you Irish? Oh, okay. <laughs> you want me to repeat the question? <laughs> no, no, Irish. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, my name is, uh, my given name is James Lewis. Uh-huh. which is used at work, um, and also I'm called Sias at work as well, but I entertain under the name of Sias Fox Bonet. Uh-huh. Um, I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, born and raised, and um, currently I'm working at an organization called Brotherhood Incorporated, and we've been in existence since 1995. Okay. Uh, and, and we're a um, community-based organization. We're funded through the CDC and a few other um, entities as well. And primarily, we focus on um, the African American community. That's the population that we primarily focus on, and we do HIV prevention and education. We also have um, supported independent living for those um, affected by uh, HIV. And currently, my position is I'm the Public Health Strategy Coordinator at Brotherhood Incorporated. I okay. oversee all of our testing events, as well as the linkage to care for those p- people that are. Um, um, identified as positives, and I also manage a program which is called Healthy Living, which is a combination of two behavior interventions, CLEAR and CRCS, and that's um, behavior modification for people who are at high risk of um, contracting or um, infecting others with HIV. Okay, thank you. And what's the website, Sias, uh, for um, for the company that you work for, the organization? Our website is www.brotherhoodincorporated.org. All right. Thank you so very much. And I will also be posting – I have those email addresses, so I'll be posting those to the Talk With Mike and Friends Facebook page as well um, so people can get more information if they weren't um, fortunate to have a pen or a piece of paper to write that down. Now, I do want to direct this one, um, this particular question, uh, and then, of course, if the other two would like to chime in, that's more than um, – you, you're more than welcome to do so. But I want to direct this one to one activist and one advocate, and I'm going to get that to Saez and Kari, okay? Saez, in your interactions within your organization, what is the biggest misconception about the HIV AIDS virus? What is the biggest misconception? Mm-hmm. In our organization, um, presently we're actually having a training going on right now, many men, um, many voices intervention. It's going on in other part of the building right now. And um, a lot of times guys are, have a misconception about sexual roles and how that plays a part in the transmission of HIV. Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys don't understand that even though that you're at higher risk as um, in the role of a bottom, mm-hmm. however, you 
and be infected as in the role of a top. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a lot of people, um, there's a misconception as it relates to oral sex. Okay. So, 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 so the conception in regards to oral sex is, oh, I can't get it through oral sex. Because some people in, like I've been at events and, well, health fairs and stuff, and other people, other organizations may consider that oral sex is a risk, which is the low risk for transmission. So many things have to be in place for actual transmission of HIV through oral sex. Okay. But a lot of people, um, the misconception is that just because the person is positive and you have oral sex with them, that automatically that's a risk, a risk for transmission. Now, now, uh, Saez, uh, before I get to Kari's question, let's let, let's talk about really quickly about the oral part of it, um, because there wasn't a question that I'm going to ask or a topic that I've already um, pinpointed here, but um, I do want you know let's go ahead and expound on that. So, if you can talk to us a little bit about the oral sex part of it and how you because you said certain things have to be in place in order for you to get infected that orally. So, can you kind of you know give us some more information on, on how that actually happens? or what needs to be in place, per se? Okay, so when we talk about transmission, we're talking about the amount of virus. Um, we're talking about a dose and a route, and it's a whole complex uh, thing. <laughs> that on. But um, let's see, you see um, a route, what you're saying, which is oral sex. So say the person has a cut, which would be uh, an, an opening where the person has an opportunity to um, for the virus to be transmitted mm-hmm. into the body. Mm-hmm. So, and the so, amount of virus that's in the semen. So, is a person that um, um, HIV positive person may have a low dose of uh, a, a low amount of virus in their system. So, they're not as likely to transmit HIV to um, someone else. And that's something we'll probably talk um, talk about more later on in the right. Um, but um, just in general, that's what I'm saying. It used to be like that opportunity for the infection to uh, the transmission to take place, saying the opening in the wound and then uh, um, and semen getting into that opening and stuff so like that. So saying if it's a, the pink parts are healthy, say the person's mouth is healthy and they're having oral sex with someone, the chances are not likely that they would trans that HIV could be transmitted to them through mm-hmm. oral sex with okay. an infected partner. Okay. All right, I got it. And Kari, um, with your interaction within the LGBTQ community, um, what do you feel is the biggest misconception surrounding the disease? Um, I actually would have to piggyback off of what Zayas was saying. Um, I know. Uh, here in New York, that's a big misconception, uh, especially amongst people that consider themselves to be tops or verse tops or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I can't get it because uh, I'm a top or, oh, I can't spread it because I'm asymptomatic and I'm not showing any signs and it's laying dormant or, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, that's a really huge misconception, I think, in all of our communities as as far as the transmission. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stay on that particular topic, the whole bottom and top, because that was something that um, <laughs> that I was going to bring up, you know, a little later. But I'll go ahead. We'll go ahead and get get into it now. Um, 
So, so let's talk real quick about this sexual infection rumor that's out there that I need clarity to. Um, a receiver, that being the bottom, actually can contract the disease quicker than the giver, who's the top, when practicing unprotected sex. Excuse me, unprotected sex. So, can one of you, any of you, uh, explain this to me and to my listeners who may have heard the same statement? So, basically, as you know, I think Sayed pinpointed, oh, you know, the bottom gets it quicker than the top does, and this, that, and the other. So, where did that come from? Who started that? Is there any truth to it? Um, give me some more information, and, and my listeners who probably have heard the same thing, because I'm going to tell you, I've heard it, and I've heard it maybe about a, a year or so ago. So, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. So, now that I have two people on the line that are activists and I have some advocates, I, I, I want to hear um, some more about that. So whoever wants to chime in. Um, well, that, um, well, oh, I'm sorry. No, Danny, go ahead. Okay, uh, um, well, there has to be a port of entry for HIV to even get into the system, and there is a higher risk for the bottom, the receiver, because he's being inserted into, and so therefore if he's having unprotected sex with an infected partner and mm-hmm. that partner um, – allows his his juices to go inside of that partner, then there is a higher risk for that person. The top, um, there is a risk, but at the same time, there is no general port of entry for him. Um, mm. He is more, um, he's at risk, but he's at a lower risk than the bottom because um, when you release your, when you ejaculate inside of a person, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing your fluids with them, and that's the one thing that you want to always remember. Keep your juices to yourself. Mm, your fluids okay. to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Keep your juices to yourself. I like that. I like that. Okay. All right. Thanks for the clarity. And I can um, I just say, yeah, go ahead. thing that I teach about uh, when it comes to the oral sex, mm-hmm. I always tell the people, Swallow or stick, but don't let it sit. Mm. Okay, so explain, explain <laughs> why, 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 <laughs> what I mean by that is because if you swallow, if you swallow fast, if you swallow once a person ejaculates your mouth, then the acids and the enzymes and things that are inside the body right. take care of that, that yeah. um, the semen. And if you spit it out, then there's no point of issue. But if you just hold it in your mouth, you never know what's going on in the back of your mouth. You might have an open cut. You might have just brushed your teeth. And so your 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 toothbrushes made these microscopic cuts in your gum. So you want to swallow or spit, but you don't want it to sit. So, okay, so what about the whole thing of, oh, I love it. What about the thing of when, you know, they say, you know, the air, when the air hit it <laughs> or whatever. Like, so let's say you got it in your mouth and you open, you open your mouth up. Is that, I mean, is that okay? Or who's Who's actually okay now? Are we we real talking now, right? Well, maybe well, we always talk okay. Real. So when the person has ejaculated, when a person well, I'll I'll make an eye statement. When okay. a person has ejaculated in my mouth, mm-hmm. I close my lips so tight, running to the bathroom, put no urge past it. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, okay. So so why is that though? Why, why are you keeping your lips closed? I, I mean, I really want to, I don't, I don't get it. Because I don't want it to run down my mouth. I don't, you know, it's, <laughs> okay, okay. you know, okay, so, so, okay, so I, I understand. But that was when I was, that's when I had less education. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I get it. So we're going to move on to Fred. 
But, but, but let, me, let me, can I say something real quick, Michael? This is Kari. I Go think what you, what you were saying is some validity to it because, because HIV being a blood-borne pathogen and not an airborne right. pathogen, mm-hmm. when the air hits it, you know, it kills all that stuff. So I think that kind of plays in what you were asking. Okay, thank you. Fred, um, why do you feel so many are afraid to even take the first step towards getting tested for the disease? So why, why do you think so many people are just scared to just, you know, go ahead and take the test? Um, from my experience, um, it really can start at home with family and the stigma that, that it has being a, a black gay man, oh, you know, you're going to get HIV and you're going to die and you're going to, it's, it's just your death sentence. They're afraid to even find out because they don't even know who they're going to talk to, who they're going to tell, who who they're going to run to in their time of need. They don't know, you know, okay. and for a long time, you know, people sweep it under the rug. You know, where I'm from in the South, you don't talk about it. To yeah. this day, I have I have people my family won't even won't even bring it to attention. I have a couple of people in my family that are open about their status, and they mm-hmm. sweep it under the rug. They don't talk about it. So th- things that aren't talked about, they're afraid. Kids are afraid to come to the forefront and say anything about it. It's that fear of rejection from their own family. So God knows how they feel about their friends or people in the streets about the situation. So, so we thank for for um. So from your experience or what you think is basically it's just they're just afraid. Yeah. They're just scared. Okay. Fear, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else want to um, wanna, uh, say or give a response to that, or is that pretty much what everyone thinks? I – go ahead. Go ahead, Kari, and then Danny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I would say maybe five, ten years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, that could have been, you know, a reason or excuse, so to speak. It's just really hard for me to believe this day and age in, um, with so much education out there and, and you know, this is, this is a, a, a issue that I don't think is being swept under the rug as much as it used to be. Now the people that I've dealt with and come in contact with and some of the people that I've seen, it's just laziness. It's just something that I don't want to deal with it. I think I've run into I've run into people that they didn't care if someone knew or not. It was just, oh, okay, I'll deal with it when I deal with it. You know, so I don't think it's so much about, you know, being embarrassed or, you know, being rejected. Uh, though that still happens, mm-hmm. I think right now in the day that we live in, it's laziness and that I don't care attitude. And then what what I what I think seems to happen, and then we'll get to Danny. What I what I think sometimes seems to happen is with people are just, um, you know, it, it comes that the whole I'm scared, I'm afraid thing or whatever. But then they don't want to take any action until it's I don't want to say until it's too late, but until they're in the hospital, and then you know things are kind of drastic, and you know, yeah. so you know, I, I just think, and I'll continue to stress this, you know, um, even at, you know, at the close of the show, you know, just make sure that you get tested. But I totally get that. And, Danny, what is your, um, what's your view? Well, my view is I look at it a little different. I look at it where as I go back to family history and things like that, taking care of your health and things were not always important in my family. If okay. it wasn't falling off or bleeding, didn't did nobody, you go lay down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, um, right. Open you a, a cold towel and lay down. 
or you know, go to you go. You know, it was always that. So taking care of your health and your you know, especially your sexual health, that was really never talked about until. Mm-hmm. Oh, Granny, it's this oozy stuff coming out of my thing thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's go to the health department. But I can count on one hand how many times I went to the doctor. Right. If it wasn't a physical for school, I didn't go to yeah. the doctor for just a regular yeah. checkup. So I think yeah. that has been embedded in where we come in contact with people in one encounter telling them to be tested where they didn't have 20 and 25 years of, oh, it's going to be all right, just go lay down. It's hard to get past that. Right. No, and, no, I, and I, I just look at it now. Nowadays, nobody's dying anymore from the disease. So it's no, it's exactly. not a, and it's unfortunate that people have to be scared into getting tested. But when Easy E died, it scared the hell out of me, and I went and got tested because if Easy E can die, all right, right, right. <laughs> Some people may not remember who Easy is, but I right. do remember that being, you know, between him and Johnson, those were right. the two faces, you know, that we had to associate yeah. with it, you know, at first, as far as the heterosexual community. And then when the, you know, the homosexual community or the LGBT community, it was more so, um, I don't know if you guys remember, like Pedro from the real world, right? Um, yeah, real world, or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that that was our faith, you know, and, and, and we saw him go through it, and then eventually, you know, he passed away. And then um, I, uh, one of my favorite movies, um, I believe it's the name of it is Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. Yeah, um, exactly. Where, where he, you know, was a gay, a gay white male, lawyer, affected with, you know, the disease, AIDS, Denzel Washington was his lawyer, you know, died and all that kind of stuff. So, and I encourage those out there to get that movie because it is, it's it's really um, prolific. It's, I, I love the movie, but um, totally get um, all your responses. And, and since Danny was speaking, I, I do have a question for you. Um, and if I is, if you want to chime in, that's perfectly fine too. Um, but once officially diagnosed, um, what are usually the next steps? That an, that an infected person should take. So what are the next steps? Once you find out, hey, you know, I'm positive, I'm HIV positive, whatever the case may be, what are the next steps that they should take? I think the next step has been put in place, and I know in a lot of, um, a lot of organizations around the world, which is called Linkage to Care. And Linkage to Care is the person or the um, case manager that comes in and makes sure that they have all the information they need to get to the doctor, to get to um, a case manager, and to make sure their first doctor's appointments are set up. I know in my organization, um, the linkage to care person, they even go with them to their first doctor's appointment. They even go with them to, you know, the first meeting of their, you know, their life case case manager. Um, The first step is to find that support. You know, okay. find that, that support because I think a lot of people um, don't share because they don't feel like they have the support that they need to mm-hmm. even deal with it. So they just, you know, go within themselves and feel like they could, um, they can manage or whatever like that. But always find that, you know, after being diagnosed with HIV, you want to find that support. You want to get to a doctor to, make, to know what's really going on because we can test you and we can give you a result, but we can't diagnose what's really going on with you. Okay. And Fayez, did you want to add anything? Well, yes, it's basically the same thing, and I actually am that person that goes with them to the doctor. Um, I set the appointments up for them um, okay. to get their um, initial introduction to um, the doctor's to that um, place of care. And I also, you know, go with um, 
additional appointments, or whether if I have to provide transportation, um, bus tokens, or whatever um, help mm-hmm. they may need. I also work with those individuals to help them probably to develop a plan to um, disclose if they feel that's something they want to do with their family. Okay. So we sit down and talk about that and help us develop a plan how they can do that. Also, um, sharing that information with a partner as well. Okay. Being able to disclose to their partner. So that's something which is very important as well because, you know, that's something, that's a conversation that has to take place. And, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or, or whatever, but, like, once they find out that they're positive, um, I'm sure that they go to the doctor and they figure all this stuff out. Um, so I'm sure some people don't necessarily have to get on any type of medication. Is that, like, I guess when they well, go, or does everyone have to educate me? <laughs> so that's the new that's the new thing now that what they're doing is is that they're placing they're suggesting that everyone um, anyone that's um, diagnosed with HIV get on medications immediately to prevent them to prevent the virus from multiplying and possibly leading to them. Well. The whole point, I guess to say, is to decrease the amount of virus in the community. So with a person being on medication, it suppresses the, the, the replication of the virus. And mm-hmm. so that in itself decreases the amount of virus in that person's system. It makes them less likely to pass the virus on to someone else. So by reducing the amount of virus in the community, you're reducing the, the chance of HIV um, continuously spreading. That's the goal of the plan from the CDC now, the new thing. Okay. I used to run into so many people that, that would say, you know, my doctor said I'm good right now, so I don't need to start, or uh, I'm healthy, my CD4, my viral load is good, I don't need to start. Uh, piggybacking off of what Saya said, it, it used to be, if I'm not mistaken, if your CD4 count was uh, 300 or 350 or below, they would want to start your medications. But yeah. I think more new diagnosis uh, today, they want to go ahead and start you on a regimen. Like Saya says, that's just to, you know, help with the cause of the, you know, the virus so that it doesn't spread to the white blood cells. But also, um, it's, it's actually good for you. Um, to maintain your longevity so that something doesn't happen or something opportunistic doesn't come and, you know, jump on you and now it's not going to work for you. So I, I tell everybody that I come into contact with after new diagnosis, start medicine. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you so very much, Kari. Um, let's talk about unprotected sex for a little bit. Um, I was having an, uh, an open conversation with friends a few years back in, refer- in reference to raw and bareback sexual activities. You know, some people say raw, the black people say raw, the white people say oh, the other uh, people say bareback sexual activities. And the consequences that come along with practicing that sort of activity in the bedroom. So Saez and Danny um, and, and Kari and, 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 um, and Fred, if you want to chime in, that's fine. But I've heard of the term super infection. Okay, and so what's the risk of two people that are infected with HIV take if practicing unprotected sex? So two people, you know, that are positive, HIV positive, are having unprotected sex. What what, what type of risk do they get themselves involved in or what kind of risk do they well, take? Well, you can, well, yeah, we call it co-infection. And also what happens is that 
Now, those two individuals may have two different strands of the virus. Mm-hmm. So then that, those viruses come together and they mutate and make another strand and say um, partner A is resistant to a particular med and partner B is resistant to another med. Okay. Then when that, when that co-infection takes place, they've created another strand that's resistant to both of those meds and say that now there's another partner. Yes, and it can become resistant to the medication that they're on because, you know, that's what I'm saying, a co-infection, because if my partner is um, infected and is resistant to a particular medication that I haven't taken, now I've gotten his strand of the virus and I could become um, my virus, or I could become um, resistant to that particular medication and say I have to get on that medicine at some point in time. Now I've gotten a strand that's resistant to it. Okay. Well, I look. I, I tell people all the time: if two people have a cold mm-hmm. and they interact, somebody's leaving with the flu, or somebody yep. might end up with pneumonia. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So repeat that. Always, repeat that, Danny. Repeat that one more time for the people. <laughs> if two people <laughs> engage and they have a common cold. Mm-hmm. But once they interact with one another, somebody's leaving with the flu. Right. And someone, it might end up even leaving with pneumonia. So I I give it to them like that because a lot of times, you know, those of us that have been in the business and been in the uh, business a long time, we understand all the technical terms, the co-infection and all that kind of stuff. But you got to sometimes break it down to it, like talking to a Mm -hmm. five-year-old. You have, you you know, you're HIV positive and to reinfect yourself with someone else who is HIV positive, you you know, you want to make sure that you're using protection with everybody. Exactly. But you are but you know there are bug chasers out here, people that, you know, go to sex parties knowing that people are positive at the party and they want to become infected. Um <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Danny. Uh, yeah, that is a whole nick. I'm glad you brought that up. Because um I don't know who I was talking. Uh, I don't know who I was talking to about this, but that was something that came up in regards to that's a new thing now, where there's people that just that actually want to become infected. That are not, they, you know, they're, they're negative, but they want to they want to become infected with the disease. I don't I don't get that. I mean, so have uh, Sayez and Danny or or um, Fred and well, Harry, have you guys like come in contact with people that are like that? Yeah, from my experience, this is what I've read and. I um, mean, from um, people that I've worked with, um, say, like in Los Angeles, there the care there is so good. They're offering housing and all yes. types of things that you can get by being HIV positive. So people are actually going out because if I'm homeless and on the streets, well, it's easier for me, hey, I go get infected with HIV, the city going to take care of me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm get somewhere to stay. They don't wow. give me stamps. They don't, you know... I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get a check. Yes. I'm getting all oh, that. Oh, wow. I'm, a, I'm going to have good hair in a few years. You know, people look at the, the physical appearance sometimes, and like I said, no one's dying anymore. No one has the sunken face or the clex belly anymore. Like when, we, when I was younger, like I'm 38 years old. Mm-hmm. And so when I was younger, I watched my uncles and them go through it. 
like right. go through it up until their death. And no one's dying anymore. No one, they don't see it. And so they're thinking, I've had young people, when I worked at WashU, um, a youth organization, I've had young people that you give them their positive, you know, you say, well, yeah, today you tested positive for HIV. Oh, okay, so that means I go down first and I get the shot. What shot, baby? <laughs> you know, like, you know, so you, you know that they've lived through the HIV uh, era. They've heard it all of their lives. And so now they're no longer even paying attention to it. Wow. So they see, the, they see the benefits. They see the benefits like, I know here in St. Louis, I've walked into some of my clients' house, and I'd be like, oh, you know, oh, you got jacuzzi tub? Oh, you pay $3 rent? Oh, you know, it's like, whoa. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know that existed, but evidently it does. Um, so th- so does this, does this uh, I-, I was reading something um, from the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and um, kind of go back to what we were talking about as far as, you know, a positive person or two positive people, you know, having sex and things of that nature. So I want to know if this statement still rings, rings true because um, the article was actually um, created in 2005, but it was updated since then. But it says, if an HIV-positive person is taking antiretroviral medicine and has an undetectable viral load, the risk of infecting someone else through sex is much lower than it would be if the viral load is high. But other factors, such as whether one of the partners has an STD, may increase the risk of HIV transmission. So that's that's still pretty much true. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, because you guys you got to worry about that. You know, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, all that. Exactly. You know? I think I think a lot of things, Michael, that people fail to realize or or want to acknowledge is. Uh, the unprotected sex, and I'll just I'll just go on and tell you, I I'm not a saint, and I've had my moments of what I call dancing with the devil. I think we've all done it. Yeah. Come on, um, Reverend. I think that <clears throat> one thing that that stuck out, you know, for me in my mind is opportunistic infection and other things that can come with unprotected sex, and that's either with two positive partners or a negative partner and a positive partner, you know, you do have things um, such as HPV, genital warts, or uh, just uh, syphilis, you know, and, and syphilis right. is, is a, um, once you contain syphilis, you're, once you've contracted syphilis, you'll always have syphilis. Always you know, have. you can go get the penicillin shot and it'll lay dormant. I, you know, I like to deal in numbers. You know, once, once it's, it's that, you know, between, you know, 2.3 or whatever, and it's just laying there asleep. But, there, you know, the reinfection does come, you know, and then if it happens and happens and happens, you know, then you'll become resistant to the, the medicine to treat the syphilis, the doxycycline and the, you know, the penicillin and everything. You know, it's just so many factors that can come into play with unprotected sex, and people only look at the, the HIV part of it. HIV, and, yeah. and, and I you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of other stuff that goes into play. Right, and I've also read I'm, in, I'm in, in reference to the, in reference to the syphilis, and I think that was Danny talking. But um, in reference to the syphilis part, you know, um, I have read that it can be more complicated to treat if you have HIV. So if you if you have HIV and then you get syphilis, it's really really hard to um, to treat that. 
or it get or it gets complicated. I get as, as as they put it. And as long as you have it and it goes untreated, you know, syphilis goes through three stages. And you know, depending on what stage you have or what stage they catch it when you begin treatment, you know, a normal person, if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't mean no, I mean normal as in a non-HIV person right. that contracted syphilis could go and you know just get one shot. And they're fine. An HIV positive person needs actually a series of three shots over a period of three weeks. You know, and sometimes, you know, depending on how many times you're catching it, at some point in time, you know, those medications won't work. Syphilis gone untreated can turn into a lot of things. You know, you can have brain issues, meningitis. It can cause blindness. It's just a lot of stuff that can come into play with unprotected sex. And I just, I just, I'm good on it. <laughs> and, 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 and Danny, um, did you have something you wanted to add? Oh, well, I'll just totally agree with everything that he was just saying because, you know, mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, like when he was saying that even after 15 years, there are moments where I, I'm engaging in sex and it's like, you know better, fool. You know right. why? Why, <laughs> yeah. why? Why are you doing this? And it's like, and I believe that, you know, my belief is his grace and mercy, but I, I'm just saying, you know, that right. I have, you know that I'm good. But it's at the same time, it's like you you continuously, you know, and you you set yourself up for other other things other than mm-hmm. HIV. Where HIV, you know, you might not go that far, but it's other things that you do. Right. That's putting you at risk for other stuff that are weakening your immune system because, like, with, with syphilis, you know, with syphilis, you might have a syphilis, you know, syphilis and not even know it, especially mm. in men because we're so strong and we're so this and, you know, all of that. We might not even know it, but it's still weakening our immune system that if we do come in contact with that person that's HIV positive, you know, we've opened ourselves up to get it easier, you know, and so right. I'd never want youth or anyone that I'm working with to think that, okay, I've gained my wings and my halo and I just do it 210% perfect every time. But I'm still human and I I do slip up and I make mistakes, you know what I'm saying? And I keep on telling people I'm single so I can do what I want to do but you know what, hey, no, no, no. no. Now, now let, me, let, me ask, let me ask Kari, uh, not Kari, I'm sorry, Fred. Let me ask Fred. Um, I mean, in a time where the disease is so prevalent and rampant, you know, uh, Kari talked about it, but I want your, your your stance on it. Why do you feel so many people still occasionally slip up? Like, why do you feel? I mean, and Danny talked about it, but why do you feel people slip up? And have you slipped up? I have. I have slipped up more so in my relationships I will slip up. And um, it's, we're human. Again, we, we're just human. And there comes those times where, you know, I smoke. I smoke weed, I have my little drinks or whatever, so I get on influence and sometimes, hey, I slip up. But I found these condoms that I enjoy so much. When I tell you, baby, I feel like there's nothing there. They're called lifestyle skin, and a straight woman introduced me to them. At my you said lifestyle skin? skin? Yeah, say that again. S-K-Y-N. <laughs> okay. S-K-Y-N. I'm telling you, they $15 a box. They $15 a box, so I tell you, baby, they feel like heaven. Because some, some people just don't, you know, there are a lot of guys out there um, that just do not, you know, I, I've heard of guys that they go limp when they get, when a, when a condom is on it, or they just don't I've like the feel of I've it. I've had that happen. You know, so, 
I understand, guys, why. Let me, let me, t- <laughs> Go ahead. Let me Go tell ahead. you something, Michael, that I've come into contact in New York. Okay. Um, and I can't speak for everywhere else. I, I can speak for where I've lived, New York, Georgia, and North Carolina. Here in New York, though, <laughs> New York, and, I, you know, I am single, you know, hello. Um, the main, it, it, it's just, I don't even know how to get this out. It baffles me when I have a date. Nobody mentions a condom. It's mm. almost like second nature. And this day and age here in New York, it's not, are you positive? It's, what's your CD4 count? Are you undetectable? What? Mm. So that means you just don't have to use a rubber because I'm undetectable or I'm negative? You know, it's like if you know you're in the heat of the moment, even if before you're in the heat of the moment, because there's a period before you get to that point. Mm -hmm. Nobody says nothing about a condom. And it's like, what? That's just where we are right now. And we don't need to be be at that place. And so that's exactly. the reason for the show. Exactly. That's the reason for the show. Okay, what I want to do um, real quick, I, I want you guys to listen to this audio um, from a uh, former adult entertainment model. And, and once, you, um, once we've done, or uh, once we've listened to it, um, I want to get your take on it. But I think we may have a special treat to where we may even have him uh, you know, say a few words as well. I may ask him a few questions. So um, we're going to listen to the audio really quickly, and then I may bring him on the line so he can, you know, talk a little bit more about it, and then we'll go from there. So hold for me really quickly. Where is it at? Where is it at? Okay, hold on. I want to make sure it's not too loud in everybody's ear. Okay, here we go. So here I am, day four in the hospital. My name is Justin Washington. I am HIV positive. I also have AIDS, which is the same thing. My HIV is so serious that it has become AIDS. I'm on all types of different medicines, as you can see. Plug that. I want to thank everybody for the support, family and friends. I know this isn't me. This is not the person that I am. Most of you probably don't even recognize me, but this is me. This happened to me, although I didn't think it would ever happen to me, but it did. And I just want to be the first to say that to those young, up-and-coming homosexuals, I think that being gay is the one big party and all about having fun and the next person and the next person you could be with or the next sexy, sexy person. It's not all good. Not everything that looks great is good at all. <laughs> it only takes one time, and then you end up here. But I am a fighter, and I am a survivor. And I will live through this. And I will accomplish my goals, because I am ambitious. I just wanted to tell my story a little bit. I'm not going to lie and say I'm not scared or, or hurt, even or intimidated. 
Because I am. It's pretty scary. But life is what it is, and God doesn't put anything on you that you cannot bear. So, obviously, this is something that I can bear. I hope that young gay individuals take this and they really think about it and they protect themselves and, and are cautious and not necessarily just live a boring life but have fun but be cautious and be mindful because if you don't take care of yourself you could end up like this <laughs> that is all and basically, I know it may have sounded a little muffled. I mean, I could understand every word, but um, I'll, I'll say for those that make, may, were not able to really hear it, um, he was basically, his name was Justin. Um, he was in the hospital, um, and he decided to do a video. And so he had, you know, IVs hooked up to his arm and things of that nature. Um, but he wanted to really, for what I got from the video, you know, he simply wanted to, you know, educate you know, people just a little bit, rather, like I think it was like three minutes, to educate the youth for them to put a face with the disease. Um, and I honestly applaud him and anyone who decides to allow the public into their personal space and their personal business when it pertains to their health. Um, I really like that he did speak to the youth because that's where I think um, it's truly getting out of hand um, because they are really coming up at a young age and not using protection when engaging in sex. You know, they're starting out 17 and 18 years old, and now they're HIV positive. But what I want to do at this point, before we even go any further, I want to bring Justin on the line, um, just so, you know, if he wants to share anything else with us or share anything else with the listeners, um, because this will, I'm sure, be everywhere. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him on the line. Let's see. Justin, are you here? I am here. Great, great. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. I just um, saw your video uh, today. Um through Keith, and um, I just thought that it was the, the best thing to, you know, to let everybody know about, um, to put it out there. So if you just want to, you know, tell the people, you know, you know who you are and um, why you created the video and um, what message are you actually trying to convey at this point. Sure. Um, my name is Justin. Uh, I was in the, in the industry when I was younger. I started when I was 18. Uh, you guys are probably all familiar with the Coco Dorm, not as what you would think it is, not just the greatest thing to make it out to be. Of course, they're going to have to, you know, especially me as, as a young, young person coming up in the gay community, it appeals to me, you know, Miami, Florida, hey, I'm from Arkansas. So, you know, getting out of Arkansas and having a trip paid for me to Miami to go do something that I only dreamed of doing, you know, as a gay person, which is really crazy, but opportunity, and it was God's plan for me. And, um, I actually contracted it, you know, some, at some point when I was 18, uh, and it actually went undetected or laid dormant in, in me uh, for six years. And I actually lived for six years and worked, uh, you know, did not have any symptoms or anything of that uh, until I was diagnosed with pneumococcal pneumonia. And uh, actually, I mean, I guess... And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, day. Justin, if you can speak up just a little bit, because um, I, I think some people can't hear you. I apologize. Go ahead. Uh, like I said, it, it basically set me down. Uh, I had to contract pneumonia uh, in order for me to find out and be diagnosed. Uh, by the time I was diagnosed, okay. I had only 31 uh, white blood cells. 
and my viral load was uh, well over a hundred thousand. Right. Um, that was actually the video was I did the video three months ago. Uh, I was in the hospital for almost three weeks. Um, I had to they first had to let my pneumonia clear. You know, uh, I had pneumonia in my lungs. That's where the HIV laid dormant, uh, and it actually spread. Uh, I guess what slowly, not rapidly. It's over a six-year span is when it spread. Uh, and if you think about it, six years, I mean, that's a long time to live with HIV. Yeah, right. It that's, is. I mean, that's, that's a long time. And me, me being who I am, I'm an alcoholic. I've always worked my entire life, you know. So uh, I almost want to say that I, uh, I'm i not proud of it, but I kind of put it in the back of my mind, uh, you know, just focused on, I threw myself into work. You know, and then and that's a mistake that I made. Um, I didn't want to come to terms with it at that time until God basically said, hey, <laughs> that's not sit down. Uh, so now, you know, three months later, uh, I got out of the hospital, and about a couple weeks after that, I started my medication. Uh, they started me on four medications, and I'm still okay. on those four currently. Atriple uh, okay. is one of them, which is one of the most popular. Uh, eventually, I will just have to take a trip. But I mean, like I said, it's been three months now. I'm feeling great. Uh, I've, Good. I don't look. I don't look the same in the video. Actually, I watched the video. Well, I, I, I'm going to say you honestly didn't look bad. I, I of course didn't really look at the pictures before, but I was like, you know, he doesn't look bad. You know, because I've seen, you know, other other cases. I'm already pretty. I'm already pretty light, and I and I contribute that to. My mom was white, you know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I lost all color. I was always a thin person, uh, but I, I lost a lot mm-hmm. more weight. Um, okay. I just wasn't who I was before. I mean, the exhaustion. Totally and, understand. You know, that part of the disease really just took, took over my body. So this is what I, I would ask you, and then we'll um, we'll get back into the discussion. I'm glad you called in. What um, What is it? Oh, and I'm so excited and happy that you're you're out of the hospital because I was like I don't know if that video was like done like yesterday or what, but I'm so glad that you're out. Um, thank God for that. But I, I want to ask you, um, what would you say to anyone that is infected but just not taking care of themselves, or someone that was basically that is basically in your shoes or was in your shoes? Um, you know, what, what would you what would you what would you tell them at this point? I mean. The first thing I would tell them, I would try to be a shoulder to lean on because obviously they are too afraid of the of the disease or the virus, whichever it may be. I mean, and they're just, you know, uneducated to it, and that's why they're scared of it. And I would just have to be that person to say, hey, it's okay. You know what I mean? You don't have to tell everybody about it. You don't have to be me and just post it all over the world, you know, but you need someone to talk to about it because, you know, it needs to be treated. It doesn't need to go untreated for for any period of time. You know, if you found out you had it or if you think you might have it, make yourself aware because it's so much better to know than to not know. And that's people's common misconception nowadays. If I don't know about it, hey, it's going to be fine. It's <laughs> not the case. You need to make yourself aware, I mean, as soon as possible. So I think I would just grab that person by the hand and say, hey, come with me. Just, just let me show you something. Let me show you the way. Let me be your inspiration. Let me be just your voice, actually. Let me hear your voice. If you're too scared, let me talk for you, because I don't mind doing that at all. Well, um, thank you so very much, again, Justin, um, uh, for taking the time out, you know, to sharing you know, your story with us. Um, I just 
applaud you so I applaud you to the utmost, and I just hope that you continue on that road of advocacy and continue to advocate and, and go out in your community and just you know tell people about what it is, but you know kind of calm them down for being scared of it and just being educated about it. So once again, we all thank you so very much, Justin. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. For thank you. Salute you, my brother. Yes, thank you, Justin. All right. All right. Okay. So um, thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, I thought that. Thank you, Keith. Uh, I know you out there listening. <laughs> thank you so very much for bringing him <laughs> to the forefront. Um, so let's go. Let's go here. Okay. Since we're you know since we're on that path, I just want to go ahead and jump, and I want to give this over to Kari and um, and uh, Fred. Uh, I want to call him by his girl name so that. <laughs> I want you guys to share your story with the world. Um, so if you don't mind, um, tell us about the time when you found out about your positive status, uh, your initial reaction. Um, do you know who contacted, I mean, who you contracted the virus from? Of course, you don't have to divulge your name. We don't want you to do that. But, you know, do you know? And, um, you know, what's your family stance on all of that? So, you know, I'll start with Fred first, and then we'll go to Kari. So whatever you want to tell us in regards to your come out story, it's fine. Um, it started. I'm not going to pages all the time. So I can reference to Universe 2005. I want to say. Um, okay. I had a cold in that summer. I had a cold all summer, and I couldn't get rid of it. I'm normally a very healthy person. <laughs> like everybody in the house could be sick, and I would never get sick. So um, I knew something was wrong with me. And that September, I looked in the mirror, and I was like, Fred something is wrong with you, boy, and you need to go get checked out. It's no need in running anymore. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, I elected to go get tested, did the oral swab, and um, my doctor told me we were sitting there at the table. We were talking and talking, and he was like, oh, it's looking good. He was reading the lines, and then other line came up. He was like, well, bad news. And I was like, what? He was like, well, you're positive. I was like, mm. okay. I cried for maybe like five minutes. I was always been a working person. I had bills to pay. I thought about it, and I was looking at my roommate, and I said, you know what? I got to go to work tonight. I said, what are we going to do next? I was like, what's next for me? He was like, well, we just got to get you another appointment, get it confirmed, and um, we'll go from there. Um, that was eight years ago. Mm. Uh, for me, telling my family wasn't something I did right off back. I actually kept it to myself for maybe like a year. I uh, just worked and uh, went to doctor, went to my doctor's appointments every three months like I was supposed to. Um, I didn't start medicine until I actually moved, right before I moved here. Um, to Louisiana? I didn't, yeah, when I moved, right before I moved to Louisiana. I didn't have to start medication until right before I moved here. Okay. And um, when my doctor put me on medication, he put me on uh, Sestiva, Kalitra, and Travada. Bad. Two weeks, I had body rash, hives, picked up the medication, and um, they never like he was only three years into HIV prevention and and, and working in that department, and um, he was fairly new. So for me, I was in fear of him not really knowing what he was doing. Right. So I switched doctors over, and um, from that point, it's been it's been good. I'm on Complera now, and um, undetectable. And um, 
Now my family is very supportive. My mom is very supportive. They they love the fact that I'm open about it. They think that I'm very strong because of it. A lot of them felt they couldn't do it. They don't see how I live continuously every day, and I don't crack and I don't fold under pressure. It's, I mean, I've always been a strong person. I'm a Taurus. I'm a, I'm a solo person. I'm a bull. I'm strong. I'm going to be there. I'm going to survive. And um, for a long time, um, I can... I don't, my mom might get upset with me, but uh, for a long time, I felt as if when I was 16, she said, oh, you're going to get HIV and you're going to die. And for a long time, that stuck with me. So to contract it a few years later Mm. and to tell her, it was like, what now? You spoke, I felt like you spoke this into my life in a sense. I felt like you spoke this over me. Now what? Now we got to deal with it. Now it's hitting home. You know, you talked about it so many years about other people having it. Now it's right at your front door. What are we going to do about it? Right. So, you know, like I say, eight years ago, it's, it's, it's gotten better for me. I'm stronger out here by myself. It's, I, I struggle sometimes with it out here because I've met people here that just don't want to know. I, I, I've created profiles online. My status has been online. I had one guy initially tell me, why would you put that online? Nobody wants to know that here. These kids don't want to know. I say, well, they need to know. They Most need definitely. somebody here that's not afraid to tell Most them definitely. and to be open about it. I mean, it, it scared me. It scares me more to know that people don't want to know about the situation and don't want to deal with it. It's, it's so scary. And just like how they don't want to know about the situation, don't want to deal with it when it comes to another person, they don't want to deal with it with, in their own lives. So that goes back to the reason why they're not getting tested, and they're so, you know, afraid to get tested. They just don't want to know. Um, But thank you so very much, Fred. I definitely appreciate it. And, Kari, you are up, sir. Tell us about your story, your lifetime. Oh, (laughs) it feels like a lifetime. Um, April the 7th of this year will actually be 14 years since my diagnosis. I actually found out in prison uh, in 2000. Uh, I was 20 years old. I was uh, blessed to see 34 a couple weeks ago. Um, Yay! (laughs) Yay! Thank you. Um, I actually found out in prison. um, I guess, you know, I was about to be released, and I think um, I had done some kind of health screening or something. It it totally was something uh, protocol with the prison. I didn't have to go. Uh, to be tested. Actually, up until that point, I had never experienced anything, any sickness, any anything. And by the grace of God, I still haven't to this day. I've never experienced any hospitalizations or complications or anything mm-hmm. uh, related to the virus. Um, okay. I'll never forget her. Her name was Ms. Brown, and she came into the room and she told me that um, I had a positive result and they were going to do the Western blot test, which is where they actually take your actual blood to you know, to be tested, and it comes back in two weeks. Uh, and it, you know, was a positive reading in that two weeks. Um, that was in 2000. I got out of prison that July. Um, I, I honestly, I'm not going to say that I didn't pay it any attention or care about it. It's just it didn't affect me like it affected some people because I always knew in my mind that it was a risk that I was taking being a homosexual. Um, 
my family, my mom, my sister, I think my sister may be listening uh, tonight from North Carolina, my, my aunt, my cousins, my nieces, everybody was also welcoming and understanding. And, you know, my grandmother, um, I didn't experience any of the backlash or the, uh, the naysayers or the I, – I didn't go through any of that. Um, I've always been a, a, a small person in statue, so just my appearance you would not have been able to tell. I've always been big on hygiene and, you know, and appearance and, and looking good. So, you know, you wouldn't have been able to pick up it on that. I think early on in the diagnosis I, came, I kind of became vocal. Um, and at that time when I was released from prison, I was in a little military town in North Carolina, uh, Fayetteville, and it wasn't uh, something that, you just went around talking about. Right. Um, but it was there where I just started telling people. I mean, I, I wasn't just telling people just to go tell them, but if we was about to, you know, have a session or something, you know, I would just say it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, of course, I experienced those people, you know, why are you saying that? You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be, you know, I can honestly say there are not too many people that can call this line right now or even uh, in my face and say that I ever slept with Amar, I had any type of dealing with, you know, with Amar Kari, and he didn't tell me. Um, I'm pretty sure there have been instances where, you know, I, I didn't, but pretty much over the course of the 14 years, I have always been uh, very instrumental in, on telling people, you know, what was going on. You know, because my fear was, at that time in North Carolina, they lock you up for public health violation. You know, I have a couple of friends right now in North Carolina Department of Correction doing four and five years for spreading the virus and not telling people. You know, so that was my thing, like, oh, no, I, I already been there. I ain't, I ain't going back behind. Free me. Free me. You know, so <laughs> that was something that I was not just going to go down that road. So I was just like, you know. But I think it was another reason why I've always prided myself on on remaining healthy over the course of the 14 years. And I know sometimes on my Facebook post, a lot of people laugh, you know, at my delivery, you know, mm -hmm. when I talk about things related to HIV. But there's a lot of seriousness in my post. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have to come down to some people's level so that they can get a clear understanding that this is right. real and that this is for real. And, and I've always been big on trying to get people to understand your health is very important. It's not just containing the virus. It's containing a lot of other things that can cause the virus to get out of control. That's mm. why I'm very, very much intact with my hepatitis vaccines, A, B, and C, you know, mm. the whooping cough, the whooping cough, you know, that's not really common anymore, but, you know, there's a vaccine that you can get for that every 10 years so that you don't come into contact with that. The Pneumovac shot that you can get every five years, which contains and even causes you not to catch pneumonia, you know, and the smallpox, yeah. shingles, all of that is right. very important. That's why it's very important when you find primary care physicians and when you find nurse practitioners and when you go to find, you know, your physician's assistants that not only are you engaging with healthcare professionals that are up to date on um, the HIV virus and, and you know, and everything, uh, infectious disease, you know, medical care people, 
you know, because I want the best care, and I don't want you to just give me a pill and say, okay, well, take this pill, and it's going to contain your virus, because there's a lot of other things that can go wrong with me, too. You know, I've always been blessed to only take one pill a day. From my diagnosis um, in 2000, I didn't start medication until 2005 when a triplet came on the market, and I took that for about six and a half or seven years, and last, uh, maybe a little longer than that, and last year I started um, Stribil, which is the, the only four-in-one on the market right now, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the newest drug, and that is uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Zero side effects. I feel absolutely nothing. And sometimes I have to question myself, did I take my medicine? Because I don't feel nothing. You know, right. it's almost just like taking a multivitamin. <laughs> and when I first started, I remember calling my doctor like two weeks later, I don't think this thing working because I don't feel nothing. And, you know, he, and he was like, well, you know, that's why we call it the quiet pill. You know, and so, I mean, it's just been a – and amazing. I tell people all the time, I make absolutely no apology for anything that has happened in my life because it has made me the person I am today, you know. And I told my true self to come forth years ago, you know, and I've accepted it. I've embraced it, you know. And if you think God's not going to talk to you because you do have it, baby, listen, ain't the case. Ain't the case. Mm. Well, no, so I'm good. I'm good. Well, thank you so very much, Carl. And I just want to um, add, you know, uh, you know, people are always hitting me up, you know, while the show is going on, whether it's, you know, on the Facebook post or in my inbox. And um, someone actually asked the question, which I think is very important. Uh, they asked, I'm not going to divulge who it was, but they asked the question. They said, I, you know, I want to know how many people are listening compared to when you did, when I, cause I did a porn show where I had some, um, you know, some famous adult entertainers from, in, from the gay industry mm-hmm. on the line. And they ask, I want to know how many people are listening compared to them. Well, um, I'll say that it's about, because, you know, on this uh, podcast, as far as listening, we can only have a max of 50 people at one time listening. So at, at about right now it's like 45, which is really, really good. And then as far as everyone that's, um, you know, listening from their computers, it's about 60. Um, and that's really, really, really good because, of course, once I post, it's going to go viral. You know, everybody's going to be listening and all that kind of stuff. But it's really, really good. And, you know, the person um, that said this in my inbox, they were really, really happy. They said it makes me happy. And I was like, it makes me happy too because people are really, you know, wanting to know more about it. They, they want to know, what, you know, because they may not be infected, but they may be affected, you know, by it or whatever. Right. So um, I just wanted to, you know, put that in there that, you know, we have a lot of people listening. So I thank you guys for that. Um, and thank you so very much, Kari, and to Fred for, um, you know, giving us your, your stories. Now, um, Sayez and Danny, um, realistically speaking, um, once you are diagnosed with AIDS, and I know that, you know, people don't really, it's not much of a diagnosis as it was in the 80s or the early 90s, but the question still, you know, still stands, um, once you are diagnosed with AIDS, what's the life expectancy after that? Like, what happened? I tell people this is. I tell people all the time. That's up to you. Okay. Hmm. That is totally within your control. <laughs> Me being a spiritual person as well, I know that life and death lies in the power of the tongue. The tongue. And if you want to live, you can decide to live. You don't all have right. to die. I don't care what you're diagnosed with: cancer, mm-hmm. HIV, AIDS. It's up to you. But realistically speaking. It has to deal with your behavior change. You have okay. to change your behavior. Those things that got you into this situation, you can no longer practice those things. Now, right. stuff happens. We understand that. 
stuff happened and accident and, oh, I didn't mean to and all of that because we've all experienced it. But when you change your practices, when you change the fact that you no longer want to drink or drug or, you know, and you, you change some of your behaviors because, you know, that's just my, my take on it is you have to change your behavior, you have to change your, your, your practices, and you have to change your mindset. When you get that diagnosis, you get it, you process it, and you do what it takes to live. So I never give anyone, I, I, I will never say, oh, well, now that you've been diagnosed with AIDS, you only got about 10 or 15, because I know people that's been living and got, you know, 10 and 20 years now and over 20 years, and they got an AIDS diagnosis back in the late 80s. Mm, exactly. exactly. So exactly. I don't know, and I just trust that because there's more folks dying from car accidents than it is from AIDS. <laughs> so, Most so, definitely. Okay. So, so can, I, can, I, can I interject as, as uh, really quickly? Saying, Michael? Uh, really okay, quickly. for a second. <laughs> I think most of the people that have a diagnosis of, of AIDS, um, and I don't even think it's you know, labeled as full-blown anymore, um, mm-hmm. but have a diagnosis of AIDS are mostly people that have had the virus like, like, uh, like he was saying years and years and years ago. I don't think it's too many people that, you know, get diagnosed with AIDS anymore. Um, right. Just because it's so much medicine and so much education and intervention, um, but you know, still don't drop the ball because you can't get there. You know, like he said, once you have been diagnosed as AIDS, even if your CD4 account goes back up to a million, you know, on paper you're still diagnosed as AIDS, but you know, you can still live. Because I know people, you know, 25, 27 years as of right now. Okay, and I don't know if that's Saez or Fred or Danny, but if you can mute your phone so we don't hear the. The background noise. I greatly appreciate it. Okay, um, back in 2012, the FDA approved the medicine Truvada. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, to be used as an HIV preventative medication for those that participate in high risk sex with men who are currently negative, but of course are at high risk. But from my understanding, Truvada is also a medication that those who have HIV take as well. So you know, Danny, Sias, Cario, or Fred. Um, give us more information as to what Truvada is supposed to do for the negative individual and how can they go about getting a prescription for the drug and is this something that is actually um, is this something that is actually working as a preventive method? Well, from my understanding, and, and anybody please correct me if I'm wrong, Truvada for HIV-infected person is not a medication that you can take by itself. For a person okay. that is positive, it has to be taken, if I'm not mistaken, with a cocktail. Sativa, with a cocktail. Um, that's an HIV-positive person. Okay. Um, someone that is negative, mm-hmm. I'm not – I mean, I've been seeing it, but I haven't really sat down and read it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure as far as in a negative person. But I did read something where a woman can take it uh, for like six months that's negative that wants to try to conceive with the HIV-positive person, and then once she's become pregnant, she will continue to take it. But, the you know, the HIV-positive person has to be undetected for about 24 months to try to conceive. Uh, I'm not really sure what the effects of it is in a negative person. Yeah, I don't even yeah, think I it's on the market that. yet for them, I, I don't think. Yeah, it is actually is on. Like they were in okay. trials for a while, okay. um, so it was in trials, and the trials were going um, pretty good. And so basically, what it is is a preventative measure. It's almost like you say, like um, birth control. Okay. 
you know, if taken correctly. You take an appeal every day consistently. So, and generally it's in the system for a period of 30 days or more um, when they say it should become effective. And okay. from um, becoming infected with HIV. So does a negative person have to continue to take it? I mean, yes. to really become a yes. okay. You have to take it and be consistent because it has to stay in the bloodstream consistently. Just like a person that's um, just like a person that's taken um, uh, HIV meds have to mm-hmm. be consistent with the medication. Okay, so what? So so what they you know after six months to a year they just stop, they just stop you know and they take it every now and again so. I mean, that just opens up for in the event that they do have unprotected sex, yeah. then they're kind of back in the boat, I guess you could say, as everybody else. Yeah. That may be next. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about post-exposure prophylaxis, a.k.a. PEP. Um, and I'll educate, because I'm, you know, I was educating myself, researching this stuff, um, uh, about what post-exposure prophylaxis is. Um, it involves taking anti-HIV medications as soon as possible after you have been exposed to HIV to try to reduce the chance of becoming HIV positive. Um, these medications keep HIV from making copies of itself and spreading through your body. There are two types of PEP. Um, occupational PEP, that's taken with someone's, um, someone working in a healthcare setting is potentially exposed to material infected with HIV. And then there's non-occupational PEP, um, which is taken when someone is potentially exposed to HIV outside of the workplace. Um, for example, you know, sexual assault or during episodes of unprotected sex or needle sharing injection uh, drug use. Um, and it says to be effective, um, PEP must begin within tw- 72 hours of exposure before the virus has time to make too many copies of itself in your body. Um, PEP, PEP, excuse me, consists of two to three anti-retroviral medications and should be taken for 28 days. It says your doctor will determine what treatment is right for you based on how you were exposed to HIV. Um, They said it's very safe but may cause side effects, and um, these side effects can be treated and are not life-threatening. PEP is not 100% effective. It does not guarantee that someone exposed to HIV would not become infected with HIV. So, um... Anybody ever heard of the, the post-exposure prophylaxis, uh, you know, the advocate, the activists on the line? I mean, do you guys talk about yeah. that? Okay. Well, yeah. let me... Oh, oh. No, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of actually, both of them, you know. Go ahead, Dan. Actually, once, um, I was doing phlebotomy training at the St. Louis City Health Department, and the nurse who remained um, nameless um, did not, she was drawing blood from a young man who came in, and I was in the STD clinic, and the young man came in, and she was drawing blood from his hand, from his arm, and she did not go directly to the um, biohazard container, the Sharpie container, when she held it in her hand as she was logging his chart, and when she turned around, the needle went through my hand. Mm. And so... Um, the needle was in my hand, and she started freaking out, and the dude started freaking out, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, y'all stop freaking out. So they, the doctor came in the room, and he was just like, okay, we're going to um, send you downstairs. And I said, wait a minute, you know, I went in the bathroom, and I did what, you know, uh, spiritual folks do. And I <laughs> start praying. I pulled, the, <laughs> I pulled the needle on out my hand. But I went downstairs, and they... They said because uh, we didn't we didn't know any of his test results yet. They wanted to start me on the PET. Uh, so, okay. 
I chose not to go on it because of the side effects and the other complications that come along with it. Okay. I'm a punk when it comes to pain, headache, all that (laughs) extra stuff, throwing up and diarrhea. I can't do it. I can't take it. I've been, you know, ask God to come on and get me. You know, I can't take it. (laughs) So I chose not to go on the meds because they were telling me all these side effects and things like that. But for the next three years, every three months, I was tested. And, okay. you know, it was good. And then all of his test results came back, and he was, well, he had some, you know, other stuff, but he didn't have HIV or anything that was going to be, you know, detrimental to me at all. Right. But I've heard about it, and I think the people that I've known that have tried it, they had more complications with it. Okay. Like they were sicker, they were sicker taking it than they was if they hadn't took it. Mm. And so I've heard about it, and I've even was offered it, but I did not choose to go on the medication. But I, I don't, I don't know what it does, what it has done in the long run. But I know people that I've known, they even have been, you know, put in a hospital behind it because it caused mm. other things to happen in the body. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So it's just a choice of deciding, you know. And like he, you made that choice, and that's basically what it is: is making a choice that you want to. You know, which is a risk with anything, of course. We know this. Right. There was a um, frequently asked question um, that was um, that I like to share. It said, um, if I keep having unprotected sex with an, with an HIV-positive partner, can I keep taking PEP to stay safe? And the answer that they provided said, PEP should only be used immediately after an uncommon situation with potential HIV exposure. If you are frequently exposed to HIV, hello, somebody, for example, um, because you often have sex without a condom with a partner who is HIV positive, repeated uses of PEP is not appropriate. You may want to speak to your doctor, or you just may want to change your sexual activity and, and the way that you get it. I mean, you know, I, I mean. Right, <laughs> right. Hello. Let's just go ahead, and, let's go ahead and put that lifestyle skin on it. You know what I'm saying? Thanks. <laughs> but you know what? We will find, we will find an excuse. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What we want to do. Mm-hmm. We will find an excuse. And I think that PV, it, it has become an excuse for some people. And it has become a, do a form of contraception for a lot of people. You know, like, I don't have to use nothing because I can just go get. You know, I should right. take these pills. Right. Wow. I should take pills afterward. I'm good, but I'm going to have him, honey. You know, yeah, honey, you're going to have him. I'm going to have him, all right. Time. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to leave with something that you didn't come with. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally get it. we got to be safe, guys. we got to be safe. Let me ask you about this. Now, do, um, for any callers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there now. If you have a question. Go ahead and press one now so you can be in the line so I can go ahead and, and, and bring you on in. If you have a question, go ahead and press one now. Um, let me ask you guys a question, okay, off the record but on the air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that. Off the like record that. but on the air. Uh, I personally believe, <laughs> you know, that this is a man-made disease, okay, um, that has gotten out of hand. I personally believe that there is a cure. This is my only personal belief now. Um, but but they have been very selective when it pertains to curing those that are infected, unless you have the monetary means. So what are your what are you guys thoughts in regards to? So who do you feel is the cure? 
Huh? Who do you feel has been cured? I don't know. I don't. I don't know who they cured. I mean, I'm not going to say Matt Johnson is cured like some other people have said. Um, I think that it is pretty much died down, and you know he's undetectable, whatever whatever the case may be. So if he takes the test, it may not necessarily show up. But I firmly believe that it is a man-made disease, and I firmly believe that there is a cure. What are your thoughts? That's I agree belief. with Will, Michael. <laughs> I, I do too. Um, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> let me let me say this. Let me say this. You know, a lot of people don't like to touch that thing. You know what I, I believe. Well, I'm not touching it. Especially those of us that work in the field don't like to okay. touch. It. But you did say off the record, but on off the, the record, record. Uh, yeah, off the record, but on the air. <laughs> I believe. Just like they know where that damn Malaysian plane was. Exactly. They know where this thing right. came from. Exactly. Right. That's what I, my personal belief is. Anything that you keep on playing with, either is going to make be a disaster or it's going to be something good. I think that they got together and they made a disaster and it had got out of control before they knew it. Mm-hmm. But it did not become important until it got into communities that it should not have touched. Didn't have gotten into. I feel the same it, way. I feel the same I believe, way. If Rock Hudson, <laughs> that rich actor, white man back in the early '80s, had not died from it, mm-hmm. we probably never. We'd probably still be thinking, "Oh, baby, folks is dropping like flies." But they had to bring it out because guess what? Too many communities started being touched by. It. As right. you remember, they first called it the gay white man disease. Yeah, sure right. did. Mm-hmm. For a long time, that's what it was. For a long time, it was the gay white male disease. White man disease. And White man disease, but then when it started cro- crossing into communities that it started spreading rampant, and we knew that our our brothers and sisters were sleeping with folks and all of that, then guess what? Now we got to make it public, y'all. Hmm. I believe- yeah, I definitely believe that. That I believe it's a cure. Mm-hmm. I believe that there there it has not been a cure name because I I have to look at the aspect of the money. Look how many. People and lives, you know, will, will, will be out of commission. You know, the pharmaceutical companies, oh, yeah. those families, yeah. hospitals, you know, clinics, you know, e- even with cancer, you know, yeah. look how many people would not have a livelihood or would, it would just be a cure and then that's it. You know, but as long as it's, it's, you know, it's kept going, look at the money that it's generating. You know, look how, look at, the money that people are donating for research, millions and millions of dollars to institutions, that would be done. You know, uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, it's a cure. Well, yeah. It's a money. I know that's a cure. I'm so glad that you said that. I would have never thought, I would have never thought, Carl, I would have never thought that far, and I think that I'm intelligent, but I would have never thought that far to say, <laughs> well, you know what? If they had a cure, many people wouldn't have jobs. They wouldn't have a livelihood, you know. That, that makes yeah. a whole lot. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You know what? My, well, you know what, guys? My expensive. doctor said. My doctor said something to me one time, and it just totally has stuck with me. He mm-hmm. said, "If we could get people to believe that God created the body to heal itself, we would be out of business." I mm-hmm. would have. But because of medications and stuff that we have, you know intoxicated our bodies with, 
it can no longer react and respond the way God designed our bodies to act and respond. Mm, right. You, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yes, yeah, definitely. All this stuff, all this stuff was, you know, natural. That's why everybody's going back to the holistic thing, the natural thing, natural medicines, and not putting things in their bodies and stuff like that. That's why our great great grandmothers could go out and plow the field all day and live until she was a hundred, eating pork and you know all of the giblets and stuff mm. from the turkey. And now here we are, fat, sitting behind desks and can't live past forty-five. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't go, they didn't have doctors to go to. They had to figure it out. And they figured yeah. it out that guess what? The body will heal itself. Well, it's not it. The body don't heal itself no more. Not uh, no more. <laughs> not no more. Like all these medicines and chemicals, our bodies, uh, all these okay. chemicals, our bodies dependent on. Right. So, okay. All right. I thought I'd put that, you know, off the record. But on the air, y'all know I'm going to use that another time in one of my other shows. I like that. Off the record, but on the air. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and um, I'm going to take. Do I want to? Do I want to? Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to play this little another little PSA really, really quickly, um, and then I'm going to. I'm. I think I'm going to do. I have four callers or three callers that have questions. I'm going to go ahead and um, take calls from them. But if you do have a question and we are able to get to you, go ahead and press one. But guys, just hold the line for me here. I'm not. I'm not even gonna play Juju B because baby, she 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 sounds like trying to the mess actually. But that was the Juju B uh, from uh, Drag Race. I was trying to play her PSA announcement when she basically, you know, was saying you know that she's HIV positive and you know she came out and oh, we also want to thank um, one of my sisters. Um, I maybe I'm sure she's probably uh, working tonight or whatever. Um, Trinity Kardashian Bonet. Um, of the Miami, Florida area, now residing in Atlanta, Georgia. She actually, uh, the episode last night where she came out and, you know, she freed herself and she right. kind of told everyone that she was HIV positive, had been um, HIV positive since, I think she said, 2012. She found out was the latter part of 2012. She wanted to be, she said, why you don't have me on the passport? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. It, it, it's so crazy that it came out around that same time and because the show was already kind of like, pre-produced or whatever, but I just want to thank her, um, and she's been online even before the show, you know, kind of letting people know that she was positive and, you know, she's going to be the face of it and she's going to carry it, and, and we appreciate her for that, um, for doing that for the community, um, and that just goes to show that you don't have to be afraid of, of, of who you are, what you have, and, and you're not defined by your status. And that, that's so very important for people to know. You are not defined by your status. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take a, a call. Um, the left Telephone number, the first the area code is eight five zero. The last four digits seven zero two four. Eight five zero. Last four digits seven zero two four. You are now on the line with Micah and the Awareness Group. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question, please. Hello, Auntie. This is Dimitri. I'm calling from Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, and he said auntie. Kyrie knows what that means, but that's uncle and auntie. <laughs> but hello, Dimitri, how are you? How are you? I'm well. I have a question. You guys kind of touched on it, but uh, you didn't, like, take it there. One of my Facebook friends posted an article uh, from QueerTea.com, 
and it was saying that an undetectable person uh, cannot give the disease to someone negative. I didn't understand that concept, so can you all explain that to me? I don't understand. Well, I don't understand that concept because I've always been taught and recently been taught that just because you might test, un, you know, undetectable, you still can pass the virus. Correct. You still yeah, I, and that's what I that's what I teach as well is just because you're undetectable, um, the virus is still present and it's still passable. Okay, so yeah, I guess you want to. Yeah, um, basically, I can get where they were going with that um, statement. Um, it was the hope. The hope is that by people having a, um, a undetectable status, that the amount of virus in the system is low, and it prevents them, or it decreases the chance of them passing it on. Not prevents them, but it decreases. Okay. The passing the virus on, and so people have taken that and kind of, you know, twisted it and yeah. the with it. But and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. run with it. And my motto is when you, when you get ready to lay down, just assume that everybody is positive, and if you look at it from that standpoint. You know what? Who, who just said that? Who just said that? Sayez, <laughs> Sayez, so, yeah, so, let me tell you something, boo. Uh, <laughs> that has been my thing. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. That has been my thing forever. And I tell my yeah. kids that. I tell my friends that. I've had conversations I remember with uh, Tavon Iman and Natasha Braxton, Thanksgiving, like maybe 2011, 2010, something like that. Like I just do, even like what what Corey was saying, you know, just about health and and, and being um, just aware of the body and and hygiene and all of that. I, everybody is positive in my my mind, you know, if I'm going to lay down with someone. That's just, that's the way that I am able to remember and to make sure that I don't have a slip up. You see what I'm saying? That, that's just my way of dealing with it and, and my way of just making sure that I'm covering my bases, you know. So I always, like, before I let baby, you got it too, you got it. You, so when people will ha- have yeah. conversations and say, oh, child, um, such and such got it, this and that. Well, baby, the person you probably had last night probably got it too. You, you exactly. just don't know. You, you don't even know. You just right. don't know. You, you, yeah. really, you really don't know. And somebody just telling you, and we talked about it on one of my Raw and Uncut shows, somebody just saying, oh, baby, oh, uh, yeah, I'm negative, mm-hmm. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, mean anything. That doesn't, that doesn't no. mean anything because they don't look, as you know, the disease doesn't have a look anymore, as Danny said earlier. It doesn't have a look anymore. You know, you walk past people and they, got, they look perfectly fine, you know. So, But thank right. you so much, um, Dimitri. I hope they um, answered your question. And I want to go to uh, area code 601, last four digits, 7538, 601-7358. You are now on the line with Micah and the Awareness Group. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question, please. Hello, my name is Jonathan Robinson. I'm calling from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, some of you may know me as Janiah Crochet on Facebook. I didn't really have too many questions. Um, more so comments. Okay. I actually work for Building Bridges Incorporated here in Jackson, Mississippi, and we are a nonprofit organization as well. Okay. Um, Syaz, is this how you pronounce your name? Yeah. Okay. Um, I yes. noticed earlier in the conversation you did make the comment about a healthy mouth. Um, I know what you meant by that because, of course, I'm in the field. Uh, you also mentioned pink parts. However, some people aren't familiar with pink parts. Um, as far as 
HIV goes, oral sex is a very low-risk activity. However, that's for HIV. There are still things like gonorrhea and chlamydia that a person can get and have in their throat. Correct. Also, someone mm-hmm. said something about um, either swallow or spit. Personally, you, well, not personally, but you should tell them to spit. Yes, the stomach acid will eventually eat the virus. However, it has to go through your throat, your esophagus, and all the other stuff in order to get to your stomach. And the Truvada situation. Um, Truvada costs $40 a day for, like, each appeal, which basically will be $14,000 a year, a little bit over. The typical person cannot afford that. (laughs) So that is a prevention method. However, it's not really a realistic one for the average person. The other person, I think it was Justin, Justin, who said something about um, HIV line dormant. As far as HIV line dormant. Oh, yeah, that was the one that called in. Right. It doesn't it doesn't really lie dormant as far as you won't know for ten years until ten years. Clinically it may be dormant, but you can always get an HIV test to find out. Now the things about HIV, it will be causing things to go on within your body, but you will overlook them because it will be something as simple as maybe a cold or a sore throat, so you don't necessarily think, Oh, I need to go get tested for HIV. So the virus is always moving around doing things. But if you're not getting tested, you won't know. And I did see the article about mm-hmm. um, the prevention, not prevention, as far as someone, I guess, having a low viral load and not being able to pass it. And you all gave a lot of great information. Don't get me wrong. And, I'm, you know, and feel free to correct me if I say something wrong as well. And I'm probably about to kind of go alongside with what you're probably about to say because I do. Um, one of my faithful friends and fans uh, actually researched something in regards to that, that same topic. But go ahead, and then if you... You know, I may chime in, but go ahead. Yes, I um, we were talking that you know a person with a low viral load can um, it can decrease the chance of passing it. However, we don't preach it because just because it decreases does not mean there's no chance. You know, one percent of something happening is still a chance of something happening. So that's mm-hmm. not something I necessarily preach to my clients or people that want to get tested. I'm not saying they're wrong, but some people will get the mentality, of, oh, my viral load low. You know, what's up? <laughs> well, it's not the situation. You can right. just pass right. along. So true. I personally don't teach that if I don't have to unless they ask. And I'm going to say one more thing, and I'll be done. Okay, well, back to the oral sex for HIV. Tell people that they should not brush their teeth before or after because um, they can cause, mm. some people do have bleeding gums, some people get micro tears in their exactly. I mean, gums, excuse me. What they recommend is that you use a non-alcoholic mouthwash or at least a mouthwash with the lowest amount of alcohol you can find to basically switch and spit. And I think that's about it. Um, again, you all okay, get a lot so, of great so information. You're, so you're you're saying, and you just, your name is Jonathan? I'm Jonathan Robinson, yeah. Jonathan Robinson, okay. I, sorry, I wrote it down right. Okay, so let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to what you just said in regards to the mouthwash. Okay, you said, you know, of course some people have bleeding gums and things of that nature, so you said do not brush your teeth before or after, right? Yes, that's correct. Just, 45 okay. minutes before or after. You, you said 45 minutes? Yeah, this I is, yeah, 45 minutes. Well, not right before, yeah, I'm sorry, not right before, right after, I'm sorry. Oh, right right after, okay, okay, gotcha. Don't do it right after. So no brushing the teeth, okay, so, but you said they can use a non-alcoholic mouthwash, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, so they can use this, so they can use, they can use that before and after, if they want to. Okay. All right, now what I want to say really quickly, and we'll let you go, Jonathan Robinson, is that, um, uh, well, all of you guys know, 
there is a, a research, because when we were talking about, you know, being undetectable and, you know, the passing, you know, of the virus, you can't pass it as undetectable, whatever. One of my faithful friends, he said that um, but they did run a, um, they've been running a study for years, and it's really not affirmed yet, but preliminary reports are that you cannot pass it. And he, you know, so we, we don't have to have a discussion about it, but what I'm going to do is I'll post it to my talk with Mike and friends, and you guys can research. I mean, well, you can read the research that they're, um, that they're doing in regards to someone undetectable being able to pass the actual um, disease over to someone that's, that's negative. Um, but he did say the study is not finished, and it won't be finished until 2017. Why it's taking that long, I have no clue. Um, I'm sure it's all about numbers and things of that nature, but that is something. That was very intriguing, and, and I definitely want to take a read. But uh yeah, uh-huh. and, and and let me respond to that also. Okay, um, go ahead. That information that we shared, that we just shared, how well, I'm gonna speak for myself, I guess, and for Danny. That information <laughs> is not the information necessarily that we pass on to clients, but that's just mm-hmm. information on ourselves as workers. Right. The information right. that we yep. to know, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's not necessarily information that we will pass on to clients. So I'm, oh no, just you know. Well, yeah, I would hope not. Yeah, let me put a bulletin out there, okay, because I, I love to research, you know. So, babies out there, if you are undetectable, that doesn't mean, you know, or if you want to have sex with somebody, you know he's undetectable, you know you're negative, oh, baby, we still do it wrong. No, don't do that. Again, like I said, it's still doing tests, and the way the world works, you never know what happens. So continue to practice safe sex most definitely. But I also understand your point, you know, uh, Danny and Saez, as well as um, Jonathan, I understand the point of, you know, this is something that you guys know but you don't share because you have a lot of people that are naive and all that kind of stuff, and they'll go back out there and they'll just go ahead and, and, and fuck, you know, you know, like it ain't nothing, like jackrabbits, unprotected. So, um, but just it, it's always good to, to, um, to research. Um, you know, I don't know everything. Everybody on the line doesn't know everything, and we're learning stuff as we speak, and we're learning stuff each and every day. So I just encourage everyone to go out to the World Wide Web, Google it, you know, and just, you know, research and, and get your own information and get your own knowledge about um, the virus and how it spread and all that good stuff. But thank you so very much, Jonathan. I definitely appreciate you for calling in. Thank okay, you. I'm going to say one more thing, too, about something. Else. Oh, go ahead. You, yeah, uh, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, about uh-huh, the provider. Um, mm-hmm. And we're talking about it in the prep. Uh, right. And people taking provider in the prep. It is very expensive. This is true. Mm-hmm. However, um, a little on fact that people don't know, and for people that are um, also on the medication that's positive, that mm-hmm. the actual manufacturer of the drug has a copay um, discount um, card which you can go into your drugstore, and there's a number, and I actually have the number where you can call Truvada, and they will pay up to $800 a month on your prescription. Go, go ahead and give that number out, babies. If you got a pen or piece of paper, go ahead and write it down. What's the number? And I'm going to also post it to the um, baby. we got to let everybody. We have to let the people know, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay, the number is 877 Okay. 505-6986. And that's for Truvada, right? That's for Truvada, yes. And you can go to your pharmacy, or you can call and actually do it yourself, but the pharmacists will do it for you in most pharmacies. You know. Okay. A lot of them don't t- pass that information on. But mm-hmm. if you ask, most drug manufacturers do offer some type of discount um, okay. on their medication for people not, um, people, not if you're on any type of government assistance, you don't qualify for it. Qualify okay. for Medicaid and Medicare, you don't qualify for it but someone who's paying insurance out of your pocket or paying out of your pocket for uh, medication. 
It's available to them. Oh, well, thank you so very much for that information. I'll go ahead and post it tonight. And I'm going to take one more question from uh, 504. I was about to say the whole damn number. 504, last four digits, 1415. 504-1415. You are now on the line with Micah and the awareness group. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question, please. <clears throat> What's up, y'all? Um, this is Bernard uh the hell. Yeah. Um I'm calling from Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia. Um I have two questions um that I want to get out right quick. The first one is a comment I wanna say and then I'm gonna ask you how you feel about it. I think that all of us in within this uh gay community or whatever you wanna call it, at some point or another, um, has been guilty of using the seasick cliches. Um, whether mm-hmm. it be with our friends or Whoever, the, whatever the case may be, children that they take in, or lovers, or whatever, okay. whoever they pillow talking with, whatever the case may be, you know what I'm saying. So, um, with that being said, do you all think that at any point is it, is that ever okay to do? Like, if there's somebody you taking on as a child, they may be just coming out and like they're dealing with somebody who you know of and they don't know anything of this. So is it ever okay to say, well, you want to do this because this or da-da-da-da? Is that okay? Okay, you saying, well, I, okay. I, I, hold on, I, I want to tackle this. But, okay, you said you wanted to know is it okay for, like I take on a child or whatever. You said you want to know if it's okay for me to do what? Not necessarily is well, it okay, but how do you feel about it more so? Yeah. Okay, I didn't get it because all y'all were talking. I was I wanted Bernard to refresh me. Oh. So Bernard, <laughs> Bernard, go ahead and say it again, sir. Bernard, is he here? Oh, he dropped out. His line dropped out. Okay, so Kari, can you can you? Uh, he was asking if you pick up a child and uh-huh. you know that your child is dating someone that you uh-huh. know is positive. Uh-huh. Is it okay for you to tell that child? Uh, well, personally. Um, I would give it, you know, I, I, if people, anybody that knows me, I take my kids very seriously, um, and it's only because I'm reared by someone else in the community, Raquel Lord, who takes her kids very seriously and her family very seriously. So I take that on as well with mine. So I don't think that it's, um, I think eventually it, it's going to be my responsibility as a parent in the event that um, this uh, person that my child is dating has not divulged that information. And I, of course, will, you know, I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I want to give them their time. Um, but at the same time, as a parent, I don't think I would do um, – I would be the, the you know, I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but I wouldn't be the parent that I I hope people are looking, you know, looking to me as being if I did not have a conversation with my child and start to, you know, ask questions and things of that nature. I mean, so, yeah, I, eventually if, if, it, if it doesn't um, – if he hasn't said, oh, well, you know what, my um, such and such and such told me da 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 da, you know, and or, or I whatever. agree. I, I think it's all in. I think it's all in delivery. Yeah, most it's definitely. All, it's all in how you yeah. get to that point. Okay, yeah. I think. Go ahead. And me being a me being a gay parent as well, with thirty mm-hmm. and two children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this old wound of mine. Um, but <laughs> I feel like there's a way to have that conversation without ever disclosing that other person's person's um, information. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. I don't. I feel like you should. I feel personally that you should never disclose anyone else's status but your own. 
Exactly. It is their responsibility to disclose their status. But with my children, I will have an open and candid conversation about you and your sexual health responsibility to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I, but if I know that you have, you just you ain't getting it, and that you ain't you know you ain't you ain't listening, and you just you know you still talking about baby he did me raw last night, and mm-hmm. you know all that, and I'm hearing these conversations, then you know I'm I'm gonna have to get my belt. Right. You're not hearing me, but then I would have a conversation with that part. Okay. Right, and and for me, I would, for me in my role, I put, okay, hold, hold, hold on, Dan. Go ahead, go ahead, Sayez, because we only have a, a few yeah. more minutes. So go ahead, Sayez, real quick. Yeah, so for me in my role, that's something that I cannot do. Okay. One, because of well, yeah, we know what I do. <laughs> yes, well, because of the work that I do, but also yeah. the fact that I need the community to trust in me that the information that they share with me. And that they will feel comfortable to come to me. So that's why so many people feel comfortable coming to me because they know that that information stays with me and it's not going anywhere. Most definitely because it's going anywhere. It's released my children. I hope that the, the, the values or the information that I instill with them from the work that I do, hopefully that they will have learned something. Mm-hmm. And for me just sharing experiences of what I see on a daily basis and what I deal with. All right. So well, thank you. being empowering, empowering them to be informed, as Danny said, about their sexual health. All right. That's something that should be going on daily with them as right. opposed to waiting until they have come in contact with someone. Right. Right. And then you might not, times they may not tell you. They're still out there doing stuff. You may not know that they're, hooking up with somebody and meeting with someone. So those encounters that you don't know about are the ones that are really, exactly. you know, the ones right. where they're at risk. All right. Well, well, a situation like that, a, a parent has told a child, disclose my HIV status to this child, not knowing mm. I already had disclosed my HIV mm. status to this child. Mm. And mm. It, it resulted in me whooping that baby's ass. But mm. in the end, you know, that's, it's just a way to do things. And it's I think it's also a very open person. Just, just the way that you, you know, your mother and your father has raised you and brought you up in the world and stuff like that, and the conversations that they, that they may have had with with you as a child. It, it, it goes the very same when it comes down to the community. Um, I don't think I've ever had to. I don't, I, I've never. I have about nine, ten kids, but I've never had to. You see what I'm saying? Like because of the way that. You know, what I've seen so many people die. You know what I'm saying? As far as me coming into Atlanta in 2001 when I was 19 years old, I saw so many people leave really, really fast. You know, and, and the medicine is, is totally different. You know, I, just from this conversation, it's totally different from where it was 14 years ago, let alone 10 years ago. You see what I'm saying? So by me seeing so much and have lost, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins and all of that kind of stuff, you know, and, have, and even seeing my real mother's best friend die in 95, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he died a full-blown age. So seeing that, you know, as I go out and I'm with my kids or my friends or whatever the case may be, those are the conversations that we have, and I just hope that, you know, in the event that they have questions or whatever the case may be, they'll come to me, you know, because I am. They're trusting enough in me to be their parent. Um, but thank you all. 
uh, across the land, as T.S. Madison would say, thank you all for um, the questions. Is it on? Maybe it's all the way on. I just never (laughs) seems to know. It's all the way on. But but what I'm going to do at this point, I'm going to uh, we're going to go ahead and do our closing of the show, um, where we have the quote of the week and all that good stuff. So guys, just stay tuned, really, really quickly. Hold for me, please. I want to thank Danny Sanders, Syed Fox Bonet, Kari Black, and Fred Jones on joining me tonight to help spread the word about the HIV-AIDS epidemic that is killing so many at a rapid pace. Thank you guys for the discussion. Thank you guys for the education. And thank you for all those that called in and actually asked questions and or commented. Please, everyone, if you have not gotten tested recently or just unsure of your current status, please go to your local testing centers, clinics, your physician, or you may stop by Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, your local drugstore in your area, or you may also visit www.oraquick.com to purchase an Oraquick test and know your status in just 20 minutes or less. As you all know, I can't leave without giving a quote of the week, and this week I actually have two. People die of HIV-AIDS every day. What I find negative is the lack of importance placed on just that. We need to make sure that we stop the epidemic. We need to concentrate a lot on the prevention. Until next time, everyone, be blessed, and please go get tested.